Welcome, everybody. Got a real awesome show for everybody today. Um, before anybody scratches their head and thinks Jay's been using the wrong moisturizer, he is not with us. We've got a um, special guest co-host, Lee Cooling, with us. Lee, how are you doing today? Yeah, very well, James. Thanks for inviting me on today. Um, and I'll try and do Jay, um, Jay Prowl, but, uh, you know, uh, there's not a lot to uh, for me to uh, stand up to, really, is there? <laughs> no, I'm sure. <laughs> um, and our guest today is Dan Cottrell. Dan, how are you? I'm I'm well. Uh, cold, but uh, quite well. I've got my very warm uh, heated blanket. If, if I have a top tip, is get a uh, heated blanket uh, in, in cold weather. Oh, yeah. no, nothing to do with rugby. I, I do feel the odd one out. Like Lee said, I didn't get the dress code memo today. Oh, but... no, no. <laughs> well, Christmas will be around soon, James. Oh, no, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll save up on your behalf. No, thank you very much. Um, so I think we'll kick off with a, a warm-up and we'll chat a bit about rugby, as rugby fans love to. Um, biggest thing around at the moment is upcoming Six Nations follow uh, for the men and followed closely behind by the women's Six Nations. But... Um, is it going to be that different this time round with new coaching staff uh, in the men's game? Uh, for me, I'm quite excited about what's going to happen. Um, I think there's a massive opportunity um, for this squad of players to do something quite special. And I think the crowd deserves it and we need to re-engage with them. So, you know, um, it will be really interesting to see how he goes, um, you know, and whether or not he tries to go more down the um, sort of historic Leicester type line. Or he tries something completely different, um, particularly with some of the assistant coaches he's brought in. Do you think there's um, much time for him to to make a big impact, Dan? Um, it's an interesting challenge for any coach to come in and change change systems and change the way it's played. I mean, inevitably, uh, Borthwick will put a different view on the way the game's going to be played. Uh, the interesting thing is, is he looking to win a Six Nations? Is he looking to win individual matches? Is he trying to prepare for a World Cup? I think what, um, uh, as as Lee's sort of just said, is the crowd will want them to come out and play the best that they can play and be enjoyable to watch. Um, and the, sometimes the problem with the Six Nations is it's played in pretty rubbish weather. So if you've got to play in a cold, wet Twickenham with the wind swirling around, whatever you try and do, it's inevitably not going to be as bright and as breezy as it would be if you're playing in June or July. So that, that, that will shape it, but it's, it's whether they want to win each individual game and well, how important is that? Will they keep saying, well, we've tried out a few players to see if they're going to be good enough for the world cup. My own view is that you just play as best you can on the day and don't worry too much about a world cup because all sorts of things can get in your way. I know Porthwick and Jones were very close and obviously um, uh, there's been a bit of a steer from Jones towards Porthwick when he's talking about stepping down. How different a style will he bring to what Eddie Jones had created at uh, in, the, in the England camp? Um, well, my, my view is that uh, Borthwick, Jones and most of the uh, the top coaches will try and create an environment where the players try to express themselves as best they can because that's the strongest way to do it. It's no point in having a start of play if you don't have the players 
uh, around to do it, and then they've just got to edge, edge them towards it. I don't think that Borthwick and Jones would necessarily um, sit uh, down and compare pieces of paper and say, well, this is what's different, this is what's different. It's um, it's whether the players want to play in, in a particular style. Uh, now, if you want them to throw the ball around a lot and uh, take a few more risks, that sounds very good, us talking about it here. But when you're in front of 80,000 and with a high expectation and you want to be on the, uh, well, it's not a very long plane, it's probably a, a coach over to uh, France, then um, as, as an individual, are you going to tick the boxes that Steve Borthwick wants or are you going to try and express yourselves in a way you want to play? I, I think it throws out loads of challenges. I just think it's going to be fascinating watching, watching those games because we've got um, two coaches who are, a new in and looking towards the world cup and uh, with Wales and England being two nations who definitely want to beat each other. Will, will they say this is a cup? This is a team we're trying to experiment for the world cup or do we want to beat Wales? I, I think I know what the answer is. <laughs> I, I think personally that um, they just really need to go out and play um, the crowd and the spectators really want to see something um, from the players and some sort of expression. Um, but the interesting thing for me is uh, this is going to be largely dictated by the halfbacks and the halfback pairings that are available within that squad are significantly different. What do you think about that, Dan? Well, I was going to ask you the uh, question in return is when you say you want to see them play, what do you mean by play? I think play is really um, try and um, do something. I felt during the Auto Internationals that really that they were withdrawn. There was, there, there was no one really wanted to go have a go, take things on, and, and as you say, maybe express themselves. But that might be the limitations that the system was put on them. So when you say take risk, I mean, where I mean, sometimes the game is, not if you have the ball um, in your own half between the halfway and the 22, you're in a, you're in a sort of a, you're sort of caught between the devil and the deep blue sea there because uh, you can't play too much because inevitably um, the, 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 there are risks. So do you do you play the kicking battle or do you try things try things on? I mean, you look at uh, teams who win World Cups; they often kick more than uh, kick more than you expect. So, what what does that look like for you? If if you were um, say uh, Ben Youngs and um, you had Marcus Smith outside, you had the ball on your your own ten meter line. What happens next? What what would you expect if you're sitting in the crowd? What would you want to happen? And is that what England should do? I think probably if it was Ben Young's on the, your own 10 metre line, I'm expecting a box kick. Um, but um, it is it is difficult. I mean, I don't necessarily think that those combinations work together anyway. You know, I think he needs to play with someone, who, well, who's not in the team. Obviously, his club colleague, someone like Danny Kerr, who plays a little bit more free. But mm. um, then you can also argue that if you want to play a slightly different style, then maybe Young's and Farrell are the right sort of combination. But I do take on board that looking at the weather conditions and... Uh, how that may influence how you can play, um, you know, maybe that's going to have a large bearing on the selection itself. I mean, sometimes in order to play, you've got to create pressure on the opposition. And sometimes that uh, that comes from pinning them down in their own 22, forcing them to make mistakes, but also just to tire them out. And you can tire yourself out, yourselves in attack, by constantly trying to attack from your own 22. And the forwards will run out of steam and the the defence can just soak it up. So um, 
I think there's a delicate balance here, and you're, you're quite right. I mean, do, does does Youngs and uh, Smith work as a, work as a combination? Um, I mean, I think that's that, that's a challenge. I, I I don't know what the answer. I mean, Ben Youngs is a very good player. You don't win a hundred plus caps uh, and be um, a poor player. And certainly, some of the Leicester style has has been very good. I mean, I I wouldn't want to be Steve Borthwick having to stand up in front of the crowd and say, "This is my selection." Because uh, if they were uh, giving the thumbs up or thumbs down, um, it might be a bit of a shock to the coach on what they want compared to what he wants. I'm sure it will be. And um, I think it's fair to say that looking at the squad and um, with a new coach in, everyone's got a fair shout as well. You know, so I don't think there's any, there's maybe a, a couple of sure sort of um, start starting positions, but I think a lot of the positions, particularly in the backs, are all up for grabs. And I think the sense is that, um, I mean, the sense at the moment is he's picking a bit more on form. And some of those these players are coming through and they are doing great things uh, with their clubs uh, and a bit in Europe as well. So instead of maybe picking players who've, who maybe suit what Eddie wanted, he's picking players who are exciting. But the, the, the trouble is it's very easy to, and you, you picked it on yourself, is that can the player play within... Uh, the system and I say system in the widest sense not in you've got to play this way because certain you can pick 15 players who are miraculous but you've got to pick um, four players who can make the heavy hits four players who can carry four players who can kick four players who can do the distance and not all the players are are made the same so the, the tough thing is you can the 15 best players don't make the best team it's it's the it's those combinations I mean I expect if you ask the English rugby pay, paying public who would they like to pick out of his group, would that be the same as the start? I mean, if you had to pick your backline now, I don't think it'd be the same as Steve Borthwick's, but I could be wrong. What do you think? I doubt my backline would be the same as Steve Borthwick's, um, but um, <clears throat> I bow to his experience anyway. Um, but um, <clears throat> no, just but, but, but what, what, what do you want? Would you want to win or would you want them to play? First and foremost, I think I'd I'd like them to play. I felt that that was completely missing during the autumn. Um, you know, during the autumn, that the crowd would have accepted a performance and a loss like, over what they got. Um, so I just I, I think there was a chance to sort of bit re-engage with the with the public, and it felt really even on the TV with some of those games, particularly the um, uh, the Argentinian game on the Sunday. I know it was on a Sunday. Um, but you could feel the disconnect coming through the TV, you know, and and uh, and then you know in the um, uh, South Africa game, uh, the final game of the of the autumn, um, to have to have the the team booed off of Twickenham is has been, I've, I don't think I've ever seen that before. Yeah, so, I mean, I thought the South Africa game was a it was a very weird game. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it was punctuated by the the scrum problems, and I feel that that, I mean, that just caused a problem for the whole game as a whole um I, I agree i i think you've got to play to win but you've also got to play to enjoy yourself and enjoy yourself if the crowd's with you it's it's all part of the experience you can't cut yourself off from the crowd and every everyone knows that so let's let's just try and remember that it's sport that there's always an there's always another game next week and th that that's what you've got to do unfortunately there's large large sums on the table and engagement um 
and well, uh, grassroots English clubs will benefit if England win, um, and maybe not benefit if they play. Or um, if you if you look at the other way around, if they don't play, then people won't come through the turnstiles. What What do you think, um, Dan? Owen Farrell seems to be playing right on the very edge. Um, you know, he's just recently again been in trouble for not using his arms in the tackle. And I'm I'm very well aware that the greatest of all time play so close to the edge. You're talking millisecond stuff between um, a, a foul or some genius. Then he's brought um, some of the old guard back in. Um, do you think he's trying to make it a bit more stable leading into a, a Six Nations with some... some um, experience and and a bit of stability well if you remember the uh, a long time ago when gatland came in to pick his first team for wales he pretty much picked the the osprey squad for his first first game and you when a team plays it needs to be connected and therefore it would be very silly and I, i'm not saying that there are players who are on the periphery shouldn't who've missed out that would we can argue the the toss on uh maybe half a dozen players i think uh there's a there's a very good um um site out there called a gain line analytics run by ben darwin and he he has analyzed the cohesion within squads and a squad which stays together for longer tends to tends to win more often so you you can't change it up too much you need to have players who are used to playing at that level, number one, used to playing with each other and used to, when they arrive, knowing the language. Now, you might say, well, just a moment, the Barbarians can rock up and play and beat beat established sites. Well, they can, yet there's other there's other things in play there. Well, first of all, you've got, you've got the whole world to, to pick from. So you're picking some of the most talented players. Also, they can play with a freedom... That allows them that if they if they lose, no one worries. But if they win, everyone remembers. So on on average, they're going to have uh, they they're going to have a, a much better outcome because we're not too worried. But as uh, as Lee just said, if we wouldn't mind if England played and lost. Well, we I think we can say that in the in the comfort of our of this podcast. But when uh, Steve Borthwick goes to see his his seniors and says, "Well, we played, but we lost," will will they will they accept that? And how many of the crowd would accept that? I mean, if you played and lost against Wales, I mean, I live right close to the border, and I used to live in Wales, and that's a difficult conversation on a Monday when everyone's showing you uh, chariots which wheels flying off in all sorts of directions. Uh, maybe. Uh, um, if they've taken a few more of their penalties and they maybe not run it, then 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 it's difficult. I mean, would you would you be selecting? I mean, uh, no, Lee, you do the academy. Would would you would you accept play over success? And I think you probably say yes. Yeah, but you're absolutely. not you're not you're not being paid. You're probably not being paid, but you're not being paid to uh, to uh, have that success. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think you're right. I, I, I do. Yeah, I would accept the style and the way we play over over a win. Certainly, 
Um, you know, the win is not our the driving force for us. But as you rightly say, you know, we are playing amateur under 18s rugby, or the boys are. Um, we are not playing at the top flight. So there are you know many more added pressures. Um and I suppose just just so we're clear, when I say um I'm not uh I'm I'm worried about the way England play and not so worried about them them winning, that would be my thoughts during the Six Nations. Because, you know, we've got to give Borthwick and the new squad an opportunity to get out there and, and find their identity and find find their way of playing and find that that the right squad. But I think moving forward into the World Cup, which is obviously not very far away, then that sort of um statement becomes slightly different. But do they need to find an identity? I mean, does it matter? I mean, what you don't want to do is arrive at the World Cup and everyone's saying, well, this is England's identity. Uh, maybe the, the great thing is if there's going to be a surprise. We don't know what's coming. And that's uh, you plan for a team to play a certain way or know that they've got two or three game plans. Well, why not not have a style? Let's just say we don't know what to expect. I mean, the the, the best New Zealand sides, and I know they, they tend to be the benchmark, sometimes they will be playing in a way that we don't expect. For instance, the, the New Zealand-England game of the, in, the, in the last Autumn Internationals, they they kicked a lot. They did these lots of cross kicks because they, they picked out that's how they're going to play. And it worked, but then it didn't. So um, do, you, do we really want them to be a certain style? I, I'm just throwing that. I'm not saying that you're right or wrong. I'm thinking... When I watch England, what's going to make me come away thinking I've really enjoyed that as an England supporter? And I, I, I mean, obviously, I talk to people from all around the world, so I don't, I don't, I'm not vehemently for England winning. But when I'm watching the game, I want them to win, um, not at all costs. But what's going to make me come away? I mean, it's very difficult to forget that magical game, that semi-final against New Zealand. Which was absolutely amazing. I mean, that was a real buzz for all England fans. Ben Youngs was playing then. Can 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 and um, was it George Ford was the fly half? Uh, yes, he so, was. Yeah, that day. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's a great pity he's not playing. But get, can England play like that again? Mm. I'm I'm sure they can. I'm I'm sure they can. But um, it's just getting everyone in the right space. You felt during that game that that. Everyone was just a bit sharper and everyone was on the same page. You know, um, the only, I suppose the only concern in that game was um, as soon as New Zealand got a sniff, they scored. And I always felt that, you know, there wasn't a very big winning margin. There was always an opportunity. You always felt that maybe they might get another chance. Um, but uh, yeah, as a performance, it's probably the most complete performance from an England team that we've seen. The interesting thing for me in this is that do you want England to win all their games 17-0? There was a period of time, and I'm just trying to think back to the years it was, when England were just hammering everybody. I think it was just before they won the World Cup. And actually, you wanted the other teams to to improve. Just the same um, with the women's team as well, though, because England have been dominating and we've all been wanting for Wales, Scotland, Ireland to really invest in their... Uh, in their uh, international women's teams to make it more competitive. But I, I'm, this is where the numbers game is is very, very clear. I mean, England does have the, the greatest number of male players, 
um, and 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 female players. But when it comes to rugby, that doesn't seem to make such a difference. When it comes to to the women's game, it seems to have made a made a massive difference. And uh, I mean, and the World Cup was uh, was very enjoyable, and there were lots of good games. But lots of games were a bit of a waste of time in in that sense because, as you say, they they would win by 50, 60 points, and is is that is that healthy? Mm. I I like the, exactly what you're saying. I like the idea of the women's game overall being more competitive. So so it's it's not you don't have those walkovers if you like. Um, what's I hope this Six Nations is different, but I can't see it being anything other than England and and France to take. But I would love I would love to be proved wrong on that one. But I think well, I, think I mean the good. the bravest decision would be to say, uh, let's have uh, let's have two England teams. Let's have uh, <laughs> I you can't have an England North because uh, at the moment there are no 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 teams in the North uh, for next year, which is controversial. Why not split uh, split England in half and have um, ha- have two teams? I mean, that would give uh, a greater number of players a greater chance, and it would um, allow us to have games where you are able to support your your region. Uh, now I know, and then then you come together to play like the Lions in in the end. There are there's lots of problems with what I've just proposed, but that would give more meaningful games which is what su- supporters want to go and see I-, I think um and it's fascinating if you go to an england women's game you will see genuine supporters there who are loving the game loving the players you go to an england men's game and the chunk of supporters who are there who have got no memory of the game afterwards or are there on the lash and it's it's just a it's just a waste so it is a, it's so different in that sense. So why not build build on that? And there's a great momentum in the game, and it could be spoiled by the fact that England will not not it's not their fault. Will just steamroller steamroll over all the other sides. And despite the fact that all these other sides are uh, improving now in Wales at the moment, there's this fantastic under eighteen competition which is going on, which is really galvanized the, the game there in sense of a direction. There's lots of great things happening and they've got some really good coaches involved. Uh, there's a guy who works with me. Uh, when I say work, he's uh, he's the one of the forwards coaches with the Bristol Bears under 16s. And uh, if they've got him involved, uh, they've got, uh, that shows that they've got a real sense of let's grow the game here. But when they come up against England, the progress will not be they just won't be able to live in the same the same stratosphere and that just spoils spoils the chance because these girls have really enjoyed playing these worthwhile games and that's what you're going to do i mean if you aren't playing worthwhile games you're going to lose players and that's going to be, that's a challenge that's a challenge for uh any any sport uh because really you you want to go to a game and you want to win most of the time but it's actually quite nice to lose. It's never nice to lose, but it's not. It's it's that sense of danger. Otherwise, you know, what's the point? I think just before we start our game, I think we're 
pretty sure that the women's six nations is is kind of a two horse race but uh just quickly dan your prediction on the men's six nations well uh if they keep your money keep your money safe and don't listen to me um I think uh, that Ireland will inevitably be the, the top side. Uh, they'll be the hardest to beat. Uh, they are the most cohesive. I think France second in that because they have got the most exciting group. I think England will always be have that chance, but can they put uh, five victories together? Um, and you can't write off Wales with Gatland because he, he'll, every other year he'll do something and will surprise. So... Yeah, there we are. I think uh, I would say, uh, without my patriotic hat on, I'd go Ireland, France, England, Wales, Scotland, Italy. Lee, your thoughts? Well, I've already put my money in the place where I think it's going to be. So I'm expecting a massive reaction from England. And I really think that, that if, if you get the passion right and you get the attitude right, that they can go out there and, and there's, there's players out there with lots to prove. I really think there's an opportunity for them to go and do it. So that's that's what my heart's telling me. If I was going to look at the stats, then I think Ireland are all over it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, my heart is England. I really want England to um, to do well, and for lots of reasons. Because I think uh, I think Borthwick's Steve Borthwick's a really good guy, and um, I think he's got his heart in the way that we want to play. So, and it's nice to have have um, an Englishman running a team. That's always good. Mm-hmm. I think we'll kick on then with our first half. Um, enjoyed that, uh, especially the fact that Dan, I think you're our first guest that's cross-examined uh, the uh, the host, which is which is fun. well. It, it gets me out of a few uh, binds, really. That's why I do it. So, brief introduction to everyone that's listening. Dan Cottrell, rugby coach, was uh, uni at Exeter, and I'm going to take a bit of time on this because there's so much of it because he's so experienced. Um, no, I'm not experienced, old. <laughs> uh, you played for both Bath and Bristol, is that yeah. correct? Yeah, only, well, uh, I, well, I played one season at each, so it wasn't, uh, I got a couple of first team appearances, but I can't say that uh, I was uh, first choice, well, despite what my mother it's said. An, it's an achievement. Uh, you've coached Mumbles, you've worked with the Welsh Rugby Union, um, you're a sports editor, you uh, do the rugby coach weekly where you've got a podcast um hence the cross examination which is which is fun <laughs> always welcome yeah absolutely always welcome um written many books on coaching uh you travel around the world helping clubs teams so on and so forth you've been working with uh Bristol Bears women so the Bristol uh, not the women women um i the Bristol Bears uh under 14s to under 16s so with the what we call the Aspire group, which is the guys coming through, and then uh, the Excel group, which is the under-16s. So I'm one of the uh, assistant coaches there. And um, you've just uh, done a, a short series of podcasts called The Coaching Knife, uh, yeah. cutting to the root in just 20 minutes, which is uh, short little bite-sized things to the point in coaching. Um, safe to say, um, through and through, you love teaching rugby. <laughs> well, I think like all of us, we're probably, uh, we just like getting up in front of people and making people think we we know what we're talking about. And then you get a few nods and then you think, 
yeah, I, I've cracked it. But I, I think that anyone who's uh, who's who enjoys their coaching probably just enjoys the the human interaction and allowing people to have a chance to express themselves. Um, but it is also very selfish. You you do it because you enjoy it. You do it because you get that feedback, and that uh, that that feeds you. That's the energy which which makes a difference to to what you're doing. And the, the the best coaches, I feel, and when I get it right, I know that that's that's what you get. You get that really positive energy, and you get that sense of achievement. And when it goes wrong, it's probably because those connections have fallen apart. And we, we we've experienced that in terms of the the headlines with you see it all the time in football, of course, but in rugby with uh, I want Dave Rennie's just been been sat by Australia and. It's not what Dave Rennie would have wanted, and uh, that's often a very it's very sad that they felt that he wasn't making those those connections. And um, obviously, a very highly paid uh, job like Lee's got as the academy coach, um, <laughs> he he will be thinking, uh, well, the million pounds that I get for this is 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 small recompense for the the pain that I go through. But yeah, as a coach, you are you're just enjoying that part of it, and. Yeah, sometimes you, you're very lucky if you get rewarded for it and it's your job, um, but it, it it can be and often is a very enjoyable experience. However, uh, when you're working with people, uh, not everyone's going to agree with you, uh, and that that is that's the tough part. I read a quote of yours, which I and I've known you for a while since you've been here and we've been in communication and. And I'm so pleased we've got this going now because I've been wanting to get you on the podcast for so long, as you know. I read a quote of yours that you said, uh, I've been lucky enough to talk with, uh, talk to some inspirational coaches at all levels. The openness and willingness to share is unique to rugby, I believe. Um, and it, it really struck me that rugby is so special. But where does your love, love for rugby come from? When I, when I was growing up, um, my favourite sport was cricket uh, and and football. I mean, I say that I qualify that I'm a Bristol Rovers fan, so it is a version <laughs> of football. And uh, I really uh, cricket was the thing I really wanted to play. And uh, but I also played rugby. But there was a very um, there's there's a particular book, and I can't remember what the book is, but it was a book uh, which was celebrating rugby. And within that book, it had. Um, six famous tries and uh, what they've done is they've taken um, a snapshot of the try as it had worked its way along like Richard Sharp scoring for England uh, Obolensky's try Hancock's try and I absolutely loved those pictures and I drew them out and also it had in the book very unusually it had some set pieces drawn out now this book was from the 70s and I absolutely loved it and I think that's where um, something inside me enjoyed the tactical side of the game. And then uh, I'm, I'm old enough to have got Subutio and I got Subutio rugby. And I was obviously fascinated by that. And I would set it all out. I mean, you, you didn't play a real game of rugby. It was, it was a very strange version of a game of rugby. And then, but at school I was, uh, I was an okay player. Um, wasn't great fan of tackling but I did enjoy the tactical side of the game and then after after we, uh, we were training at school 
uh, would go and play for another hour or so, just as you would. And I didn't really break through into rugby until um, and start getting reasonably good at it until I was at university. And then uh, had a couple of uh, breaks um, and got to play for Clifton in the third division. Um, had, as I say, had a had a season at Bath, which was fantastic. And the, the and then went over to Bristol for another season, which didn't work out so well. Uh, but in that, I was very lucky. I I met some some fantastic coaches. So uh, or learnt from some coaches. So at uh, Bath, there was uh, Brian Ashton. And it was just fascinating being in that environment. Uh, but also at Bath, there were some very good players who went on to be very good coaches. And so there was Andy Robinson, Mike Catt, uh, Richard Hill, the, the scrum half, um, uh, Nigel Ollie Redman, uh, Martin Haag. So all, um, uh, these, these and there are others in there as well. And all these guys went on to be coaches. So you're in that atmosphere of coaching. And that just naturally, if you if you're listening, you 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 you're part of that. And then uh, at Bristol, there was Dave Allred, uh, and then um, uh, my old school, uh, Kevin Bowring was the uh, director of rugby there. So started talking to him, and just just it was very lucky that I bumped into some really interesting thinkers about the game, and that just really piqued my interest in it, and. So that's where the, the love of it was. But when I was playing rugby, I just wanted to play and play and play. And not, I would like winning, but I just, I just love playing. And I, I got better and I was able to make a few tackles by the end. But also the other thing I think you realise in when you play rugby is that you see why some players are successful and then you know why you're not going to be so you can have the super talented players so if you if you ever had a chance uh um the, the chance i had was uh was around someone like jeremy gusker i just he was the talent was, was off the charts i mean just everything he did he did faster than everybody without seeming to make an effort and i don't think you'll mind me saying this well maybe you will but also at the same time as john Caller was at the club and his work ethic was unbelievable. I mean, it's just he trained and trained and trained and eventually he went on to play for England and he thoroughly deserved it. And yet in between, you'd have players who'd work hard but would never make it and players who had loads of talent but never would work at it. And that's fascinating because every time you stand in front of a player, you're trying to work out where they are on the spectrum. And if you can intervene, do you you try and help them to work harder or be more realistic? I mean, there are players, Lee, that probably arrive at your academy and you think, well, in, in you know, whatever I'm going to do, they're not going to be the player they think they want to be. And other players, you think, oh, if if only they would do this. I mean, that must be the main frustration as as academy manager. Yeah, it, it is. It is a it is a, a, a frustration. Um, you're absolutely right. There are there are players who, you know, you look at them and and whatever you try and do with them, they just can't really understand what they want, what they need to do to become the player they want to be. So, um, and others uh, who have a lot of talent, um, but uh, you know, for want of a better word, kind of lazy, really. You know, and almost and almost waste it. 
Um, so yeah, it's uh, it, it's it, as you'll know that it's very tricky trying to find the common ground with these guys and how do you you know inspire them or how do you give them realistic targets? Um, it's it, it is difficult, um, but uh, you know it's a challenge and it's a challenge which uh, you know myself and James and the other coaches and managers in, in, in the academy you know we enjoy and it's all all part and parcel of its development. There was an interesting coach I was listening to, a football coach actually, and he was talking about the balance between uh, talent and and um, uh, uh, maintenance, and how much how much a player takes of your time versus how talented they are. If they're incredibly talented, but they require a lot of your time, okay, that's fine. But if they're not incredibly talented and require a lot of your time, then that's different. And where the balance goes, what you want is them to be incredibly talented and not take any of your time. He said, that's that's the ideal. But at some point, you've got to make a decision on, actually, you're not, you're not no matter what we do, unless you change your mindset in the whole process or or suddenly become far more talented you know we've got to we've got to give to others at the same time do you, do you find that that's something that you I, I think the ongoing problem is we never have enough time with the players uh that being said uh you still got to make best use of the time you have and sometimes that is that's wasted and it can be wasted or be inefficient because you are tied up in having to deal with a player who's got a various problems and uh, that player requires requires time in order to get them beyond those problems. Maybe it's conversations with parents or schools or where, wherever they, their stakeholders are. Now, we've got to understand ourselves what we're in it for because if you are yourself not looking after yourself and you'll find yourself worrying so much about those conversations that you're, you're not particularly efficient. So you come you come up to this player and you think, oh, not again, Ali. I mean, you just, <laughs> I, I can't have another conversation with you about this, but you've still got to have it and you've still got to have that same energy. Now, the bravest coach will say, right, Lee, uh, we've had this conversation um, I'm going to go off and have another conversation with somebody else. But, 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 but your, your time here is done with me. I've got to give time to other people. Now, that sort of goes against our human nature as coaches because we are always reaching out to players to want to support. We always want to help them out. And one of the difficulties within a coaching session is stopping talking to allow people to allow the players to get on with what they what they want without intervening. Um. And that, that comes with experience. Uh, talking to someone the other day about their tennis coaches, and they said that the young coaches cannot get this balance right. They either want to have too much fun so we don't get anything done, or they want to intervene too much, or they get angry when we're not doing enough of what we need to be doing. And the more experienced coach knows when to crack in and say, right, let's up this, or to sit back or to say, right, this session's going to be like this. And that's really hard. That's why uh, there's uh, there are problems with players who come out of the pro game and go straight to coaching and pick up top jobs because they don't know when to step in, step out, be friends, not friends. Uh, I mean, the, the most valuable coaching experiences was when you have that 
that right distance, when you are able to smile, enjoy and share the success of the player without being so close to them that you can't then have a uh, a tough conversation about, okay, there's a standard here, you're not reaching that standard and something's got to change. And that, I mean, that's a, that's a tough conversation anyway. And uh, sometimes that conversation is not going to go well to start with. But if you can't have that, if you don't have that separation, when you can't go home and go to bed and think, I've had that conversation, it was the right conversation to have, I can now sleep. I mean, I wish I could say that by myself, but uh, how many coaches can go home after they've had to tell somebody, I'm sorry, uh, your contract's up, or I'm sorry, you're not on the team. I mean, imagine um, having to tell a player that, first of all, let's say Simon Middleton uh, had a squad of, um, I can't remember, maybe 30 players yeah. uh, with England. I I think that everyone got on the pitch uh, during the World Cup at some stage. But that's a hell of a, let's say you are uh, in Wales' situation where there's no there were no easy games. Did every single player get on the pitch? Did... Um, and when it came to the big game for England, Simon Middleton had to say to one or two people, I'm sorry, you're not in the team. Is is that an easy conversation? No, it's not. It's a terrible conversation. Where, um, did, you, where did you learn how to manage it? Because you've been on both sides. You've played at a at top level and you coach at top level. But where do you learn to manage those conversations? Where do you learn to 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 get that distance right? Is it from your experience as a player and and having that relationship with coaches, or is it something you've learned since you became a coach? I think it's a it's an ongoing learning. Um, I remember uh, helping out on a level three course, and Lynn Jones uh, came in to present. So this was uh, in Wales in the Ospreys. So Lynn Jones was the head coach of the Ospreys, and uh, those who don't know Lynn, uh, he went on and he coached. Uh, I think he coached with Russia as well. So he was a he was a successful coach, but he certainly had a style, and uh, he said, selecting players, I've gone through it all. I've gone through, uh, we put the notice on the board on the Monday. Uh, we've gone through, I'll ring up every player. I've gone through, I'll hand out bibs uh, during the training session at the end and say, everyone's got a blue bib is selected. Mm. You, you, you you can't get it right. Um, in the sense that not everyone's going to be like it. I've heard coaches this year um, and or maybe last year saying, I've asked every player how they want to know about the game about their selection and then I will I will meet meet that need. Um I think that's you can do that if you've got the time. I was going to say that sounds exhausting. Well I think that is exhausting. But if you are in a professional environment where you think you've got the time then then I, I think that that's good. I, I think that you've just got to set out at the start of the season this is how we're going to select the team. Uh these are the criteria we're going to try and use. And we're going to, uh, and this is how it will be announced. Now, we after the announcement, I will try and find time to have conversations with players if I can. But you're going to have to accept I've only got a certain amount of time. Now, you asked is how I've learned that. Well, as I said, I've been very in a lucky position. I've talked to lots of coaches over time, and coaches are generally quite open. Well, to a certain extent, that the coaches are open are the coaches are open there's probably a great chunk of coaches who are very closed and i've never spoken to because they've either not made themselves available or 
they've uh, they've shied away from uh, any of those conversations. I I think that when I was playing, we were in a different different era. Um, you know, you had to shut up or you had to put up or shut up, shut up and put up. I can't remember the expression now, but you just you 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 got it. I mean, within the days when we'd get a car through the post, when I was at Bristol, uh, you'd get a car through the post on a Tuesday, or you'd see your, your name in the paper. It was quite interesting at the time that people thought. Uh, oh, sometimes uh, I've mainly played in the second fifty. Sometimes Bristol don't quite now remember. They're not sure of exactly who's playing because this uh, they always put a player in. Well, Andy Player, of course, had to face up to those jokes um, ever since, and he was a very good player. Played in the second row, um, and uh, was forever known as the uh, the a another player. I think from from many people. Uh, yeah, I. I I think the danger is that if we try and remember what it was like for us as a player and then try and use that with our teams, we forget that we are, we're all different and we, we come from uh, a different viewpoint. And even, even in our, just our conversation there about what, how would you want England to play? We've probably got three different versions uh, of, of that. So just imagine trying to tell some of your players whether they're in or not. It's probably, probably difficult. Lee, how do you do it? Well, um, we set out our, our store from the from the start of the season how it was going to work, um, and um, you know the selection <clears throat> goes out. Well, I'd like to get it out midweek, but that depends on how many of the lads actually can press the button on their phone and tell me they're available. Yeah, you know, so <laughs> they they limit what we can do, you know, initially. Um, but uh, once that selection goes out, then uh, as a coaching group, we are available for them to speak to should they wish to discuss the selection and the reason for their for their uh, non-inclusion. Um, so that's how we tend to do it, which uh, we we'd allow them to approach us um, however they want to, you know, would be at a phone call, um, be it a face-to-face conversation, a message, um, and and have those conversations. So we're very and how many com- and how many conversations do you have on average a week? What, you know, how, after selection, do you know the conversations probably with the lads are maybe two or three, and it's the same players or different? Players? Um, sometimes, yeah, yeah, sometimes. I mean, we do we obviously try and rotate the squad. Um, you know, we, we're, we're again limited by um, the lads that you know, most of them are working now as well, so that uh, throws another spanner in the works. Um, and we, you know, have us we have a squad and a half, so it's trying to keep that those extra five, six, seven players happy by rotation, you know. Um, but I think all we can do is be upfront, honest, um, allow them to to have a, an honest conversation with us uh, and uh, keep that um, <clears throat> keep that uh, that conversation flow available to them. I mean, controversially, you could say that being dropped is actually a very good life lesson. I'm with you on that. Absolutely, life's tough, and and a lot of these, um, both my sons now, um, ones at uni, ones um, go to uni shortly, and when they were getting their GCSEs, I likened it to the fact that uh, if you've put in your all and you've done your best, what you get will be your best. Um, they're both into sports. Sometimes they get picked, sometimes they don't, and I have to remind them both: if you don't get picked, then work harder. And then when you do get picked, you know it's because you put the effort in, kind of down to it. Mm-hmm. Um, again, like Lee says, uh, there's a degree of rotation in order to try and keep everybody happy. But um, but yeah, sometimes I think, uh, especially 
parents that uh, want to know, especially in the younger age groups, why their son hasn't been picked rather than the, the son or daughter wanting to know why they haven't been picked um, puts a bit of um, a bubble wrap around them for when they mm. get to real life. And all of a sudden they've gone for that job interview and they didn't get the job interview. And, you know, the, the parents then not going to phone up the company and say, why hasn't, you know, my daughter or my son been picked for this company? So, yeah, I agree with you. I think it is a, a strong life lesson. And it's it's a, it's a low stakes life lesson as well, which is um, you, you don't get picked one week. You might get picked the next week. Um, the, the, the hard the hard conversations come uh, when the player is moving up the levels and hoping to break into the academy and th- those are tougher you you're in the in in the academy set up for two three years uh get to 16 and obviously the the pyramid narrows quite sharply and you dropped you dropped out you were the best player and now 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 your 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 surplus to requirements and the, the the key i think overall is the parents are such a big part of it we, we can't ignore that that part of it. They, they they we live our lives through our children i mean we would want we want them the very best uh i, I mean my when my sons tell me about their successes and failures it, it can change my day mm. change my day completely and any any parent who is is, is into their parenting will, will will be part of that and it it, it's it's hard. It's hard when your child comes home and says, "I'm not selected again," and you you don't know everything that that's going on and why the coaches coaches doing that. And and sometimes the coach is making a mistake. They are not focusing on the right things. And do you go in and have that conversation? Do you say, "What what we what what are you trying to do with this team?" Are the 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 thing which I did with Mumbles, so uh, my involvement with Mumbles was um, under sixes, um, nobody stepped forward. So I thought, well, I was going to try and not step forward, but I'll, I'll do it. So I, I went down and I've told this story uh, a few times. So apologies for people who've heard it before. Is that I went down with this fantastic session plan. Uh, we were on the beach in Mumbles. He was very lucky to do that. I set it out. Uh, my son also had his own session plan because he fancied himself as a coach. He set up his own area. And the kids went off and played something else completely different. So what I realised is you don't have, uh, you don't set up, you don't play rugby under sixes. You, you crowd manage and uh, they they enjoy it. But over the time, uh, the the two coaches I work with, though we didn't always agree on how the session should look, we agreed that every player should have equal playing time. And I had this fantastic um, Excel spreadsheet to plan out how it worked uh so we did it that way for a, a season or two and then the other guy said it's much simpler than that we're just going to go all right everyone has a number let's say there's 12 players on the pitch we had 18 players at one to 18 right uh one to six you're off right again goes okay uh seven to whatever it is 12 oh, you're off the next group are on and we just rotated like that and uh that meant every player turned up knowing they're going to get as much as game of time as everybody else. We never had any selection issues. No one was worried uh, about whether they're going to play or not because everyone did play. And we won some, we lost some. Uh, we played in a tournament uh, at Lupton and uh, we got to the final and we won the final. 
And in the second half, our two best players went on the pitch. And that was that was the best one of the best moments of the whole of the whole time that I was involved because uh, they still won with that. Now the next year we lost. The next year we we lost plenty of games we could have won, um, and it it meant the pressure was off. We never felt at the end of it we were disappointed when we beat, didn't beat local rivals, perhaps or ones that we wanted to beat. But it wasn't. It didn't matter that much. But the and I'm rattling on a bit here. But the, the, I think the advantage for us was the three coaches who were involved were involved with rugby elsewhere. So our Sunday team wasn't a reflection on our other parts of our rugby. So we, I think that makes it harder for coaches who've only got one team that they're involved in and therefore they don't have another team to go off and feel that they can do other things with. And that's a very, as I think as I said earlier on, we, we coach because it makes us feel good. It, it That's where the energy comes from. And if something's going wrong with the team, we start losing the energy, it becomes much, much harder. And if we don't have that alternative, I mean, I'm sure that you are both proponents of kids play as many different sports as you can. Don't become just all rugby. Have other things, have other interests, because if the rugby's not going well, then there's got to be other things you've got to fall back on. And uh, in a school in a school circumstance, um, it, it's great if you can do a range of subjects because... You, you're going to hopefully find one or two which is going to, which are going to work for you and maybe the sport is the thing which works for you and the, the trouble of being that if if sport is your get out is what happens when you're injured so well, yeah. I think there's about 18 threads for you to pick up there see, my, see which uh, you want to run with <laughs> my eldest when he was at school and he's he's wanted to be a, a goalkeeper he plays football he's wanted to be a goalkeeper since he was six years old um, and when he went to secondary school, of course, there's a you know a, an enormous amount of other sports to play, and and as sporty kids often are, um, uh, I've got two boys. Um, I can only assume it's the same with girls. If you've got sporty kids, they do well at sports. Full stop. And he'd play rugby, and he'd play all the other sports that they had there. And he kept saying to me often that you know. What does he do? Because he wants to focus on his football. And I said to him all the time, play as many sports as you can. can. And if there's a a crossover at some point, then you have to make a decision. And he said, yeah, but I don't want to let the, the, the other teams down because you've got that team mentality. I don't want to say I want to play rugby and then football come along and then I can't play. It's like, well, that's just not a problem. If that happens and you don't get picked for the rugby team next time because you've been off playing rugby, football, then that's it. But... Play everything you can play, enjoy it, and when you have to make a choice, make a choice then. Yeah, I, I think that's. Uh, I mean, that the problem is that we put players on a talent pathway, and they then get stuck on it, and it's hard to um, hard to break break out of it. There's a sunk cost um, syndrome that you know, I've put so much effort into it, I I, I can't leave it because I, I've dedicated my my life to it and that that's where that that's where we we probably get that talent pathway wrong it's tough i'm i'm not i think there's lots of good work going on in it but we've sport really should be for the enjoyment and 
the great thing is if you've got leagues, it means that you can play against people who are of your standard. And then um, you, you you play the game, have a beer, you know, if we're, if we're thinking rugby sense, enjoy, enjoy uh, having a laugh with your mates. And then, then there's something else, something else coming up. And you talked earlier on about the fact that you got into rugby because you picked up a book and uh, loved the technicality of it. Um, knowing you as a coach and listening to you now, at what point did you decide that you wanted to be a coach? Was it the very first time you picked up that book and saw the technicality? Or I, I think um, my, I'm, I'm the oldest of uh, three. And my brothers would say that I was probably thinking I was going to be a coach right from the start because I was bossing them around <laughs> uh, f- from there. And probably I like bossing people around. Uh, I'm not, not particularly bossy, but I like to sort of think I can tell people what they they could do. And then, um, but I never really thought I was going to go into coaching until um, I I made a choice after university to, uh, I wanted to go into marketing and quite work out. So I went into accounting and I quite enjoyed it, but I wasn't, it wasn't me. And then, um, as I think I mentioned before, I, I was very lucky. I was, um, in quite a lot of conversations with Kevin Bowering, who was, um, who went on to coach Wales. He wasn't Welsh coach then, and then was head of elite coach development at, um, with England. And I think he saw that I that's something I was enjoying doing. I was just enjoying the, the rugby and uh, how it worked. And I I I wasn't wasn't a very good coach uh, because I didn't know the process. I knew drills because we did drills at at uh, when, when I was I was I was doing rugby and I enjoyed the drills. I enjoyed training. Uh, so there I, there wasn't a moment when I thought uh I, i'm a coach until kevin bowering said and i remember sitting on the bench uh looking over the the first team pitch at school and him saying have you thought about teaching and i, I went home uh I was, I was living at home at the time and um my parents i said and my mother said at last you've you've worked it out so i think they saw it a teaching and that was and then then the coaching sort of came from that it's it's always interesting to me, um, and Lee's a teacher, well, ex-teacher as well, always interesting to me how many teachers seem to progress into right, rugby, I suppose, because I've, I've looked into the rugby side, but how many, especially international um, coaches, have come from a teaching background? And like you say, is it because players understand the process, the drills and all the rest of it, but coaching something different again? I think, I think that's a that's the start that's the start of a massive uh start of a massive pro, pro podcast but i think it'd be fascinating to know what you how you came to it lee oh sorry yeah so my, my teaching career i sort of fell into it if i'm absolutely honest um uh, i i finished my um degree my physics degree um in you're there when was it now 91 i think um and uh there wasn't that many jobs out there at that point um and uh i got a call from the government one day saying would you like to um uh, go and do a postgraduate in education and uh we'll give you four thousand pounds and i was like well i'm not doing a lot and uh yeah so i popped up to keel did my postgraduate and uh, uh got into teaching that way um but um i was going to say before but 
for me and and coaching there's a i think there's a there's a real synergy between teaching wanting having that desire to help children help kids progress and that's i think that the, the big the reason that, that many um teachers find their way into coaching because it's a similar thing but it's a thing which doesn't carry all the extra baggage that teaching does you know you can get out there and coach and help the kids and get that fulfillment and enjoyment um without those other pressures and having to write reports doing vigilation yeah. uh, all all those all those sorts of things um yeah and it's it's easy to pick up and put down you can you can coach uh i'm guessing coach is going to take out 6 hours of your week um in terms of two sessions and maybe a game um but it's i mean when when you're in teaching well, you know it's like it's uh, it's full on it's is is it's inevitably tiring but also um you 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 can't walk away from it because uh, you got to pay the bills yeah no ab- absolutely um yeah it's uh it's teaching is very much a, a a mindset you know it's uh people that are into it are into it and people that aren't aren't you know they're, they're it's a certain type of person that does it in in my view um uh, but it's very much a lifestyle type job i suppose similar to you know nursing that that type of thing um but uh but yeah but being able to be in a coaching environment and get yourself away you know from from you know the school or whatever whatever environment you're in with with your particular um teaching um makes a massive difference takes removes the pressures and that gives you some sort of freedom um and those uh the rewards are not are huge as you were saying earlier once you get that um uh, you get something back from the kids or you know you've delivered a decent session or you watch a game and a, a move comes off or something or even at the end of the game where they're all congratulating each other you know you get a massive benefit from that and, and reward so uh so yeah i mean you know that's that's why i'm into it i think i think that's all i mean what you're saying there is why why a lot of coaches are are actually in it is because uh, it is a, actually it's very selfish. You you should you should enjoy it for the successes you have, and then try and work out what, how can I have more successes. Because the the better you are, and the more successful you are, the more successful the people are around you. And that, I don't mean winning. It's not the win loss ratio. Uh, it is the it is those connections and. Um, I've been looking at my uh, coach. So last night I was with the Bristol Bears, 14s, 15s, what's called the Aspire Group. So these are the guys who aren't actually at the the top, but they're hoping to get to the top. So a couple of hours with them and then uh, with the University of Bristol women's team. And both sessions came away this time absolutely buzzing. Both worked really well for, for, for different reasons. But the, the Bristol women's one I enjoyed particularly because we got there down there a bit earlier um, and just chatting to the girls, asking them some questions. Was a, Some was about their courses. Some was about uh, where they were. And also just throwing in a few questions. Uh, so I asked them uh, two questions, which were potentially controversial. Um, the first question is, um, Ireland women are stopping wearing white shorts. Uh, because of uh, when it's women's periods, uh, there's potential that uh, it shows up and they get, they get embarrassed by it. But some other people have said, uh, well, just a moment, uh, we shouldn't get embarrassed by it because uh, 
this is the the natural the natural way of life and it's celebrating women's uh uh the, the way that women are and i i asked the girls what they thought and i said it i hopefully i said it in a way that i didn't know what the answer was and they, it was interesting that they a lot of them they said well we would prefer not to have that as a as an issue for us when we play so that was one and the other one was that uh someone had written for us that uh uh, women shouldn't be treated as uh, little men uh, when because they have they have different they have a different makeup. And I said, well, what do you think about that? Should we write this? Because I don't know. I'm I'm trying to write the best or trying to put the best information out there, and I want to know what you think. And again, they came back with some very interesting and different views on it, which was very helpful. And I did it because I was being selfish because I wanted to know, but I understand that that also creates um, a, a connection because I'm talking about stuff which either matters to them or they think, well, at least Dan is not just talking about why I made that tackle or why am I presenting the ball in in the best possible way. And um, that, that's that's what makes it worth it, is the conversations you have, the corridor conversations, which is a, is a popular term that yeah, you get a lot done in meetings, but you often get quite a lot done in the corridors by having those informal chats. Let me um, just ask a question to, to wrap up our first half. If in the end of all time you get to come back, do you come back as a player or do you come back as a coach? Well, you you want to come back as a player. I mean, yep. the, the times, uh, there were a couple of times yesterday when I was thinking, I think I'd quite like to get in here, but then I realised that uh, I can't actually move uh, in the way that some of these guys are moving and so natural, I'd never be able to do that. You want to play. I mean, th that's what it's all about. I mean, I love the coaching. Uh, I want to play. I mean, that's why I play golf uh, and just think about golf far too much is because I just love playing. Uh, I love coaching, but if you gave me a choice, it's playing. What about you, Lee? Yeah, no, no, no question. But come back, come back as a player. Um, I want to play. I, I play every day if I could. Well I, well, I sort of used to anyway, you know, you know, even though your body's a little bit broken, put a bit more tape on it and away you go and have another go, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it's, uh, you know, for all these lads out there that, uh, that are playing or, you know, lads and, and, and girls, I should be very fair about that. Um, uh, you know, the, the people that you hear of that, uh, that are saying, oh, I'm a bit, a bit too old for this. I can't do this. I can't do that. You know, once you get to a point where you can't really can't do it, right. It's over. So you've got to make the most of it now. Get out there and play. You got to come down. Long time retired. <laughs> Long time retired. So I think we'll wrap up our first half because I'm conscious of the time. Um, we'll just have a brief half-time announcement. Um, to all that's listening, we're trying to promote grass grassroots. If you've got a club and you've got something you want to put out, um, whether it's help or support, um, whether it's something you want to shout about and promote. Uh, by all means, get in touch with us at um, info at Be More Rugby uh, or connect with us on the socials and um, and ask us and we're happy to promote. Uh, but this halftime, um, we've got Dan Cottrell on. Um, I want to promote his rugby uh, coach weekly. Um, it's something that uh, I know down here at Wimborne Rugby Club, it certainly helps. Um, lots of great advice, lots of great tips, lots of great drills. Everything you need as a as a grassroots and and probably a, a higher level uh, coach 
Um, Dan, where's the best best place? Is it just to go on the website, rugbycoachweekly.com? Yeah, it's rugbycoachweekly.com, uh, not dot .net. Um, it is, um, I think we didn't get the dot .com uh, domain or it was, it was too expensive in the uh, in the old days. Uh, and also we are, uh, we are, uh, well, the very first, not that you'll be able to see it because I've got, uh, and, and not that I have it, carry on. This was, uh, not sure if that goes into view, but that's the uh, the old, well, the very first rugby coach weekly, well, very first rugby coach thing, which was done September 2003. So 20 oh, years this, this year of, uh, of writing. I reckon about 2 million words. I mean, they're not my words, not all my words. I've had to edit them. Um, there's uh, lots of coaches' other words in there. Well, get, uh, get on and search Rugby Coach Weekly. Um, you'll find it. And um, get on your podcast platforms as well. Rugby Coach Weekly podcast is on there. Dan and uh, his colleagues interviewing some uh, amazing uh, rugby guests. Um, right, we'll move on. Second half. Dan, this is uh, where we like to bring in the um, the ethos of uh, what we're doing at Be More Rugby. Um, talk about how rugby can be a positive influence on our general lives, how we can use it uh, ourselves. And we, we like to start the second half off with, uh, Dan, what does rugby mean to you? So I'm going to qualify that. Is that uh, all sport or rugby in particular? Yes. Yes. Well, that's or all of it, both. Um, well, I think I'm just going to take take us back a bit. Now, the reason why you're doing this podcast is you've written this amazing book. And to actually sit down and write a book of that length is is one hell of a task. You don't you don't do it overnight. You takes a very long time to do. And uh, the effort that's put into that is a good indication of why sport and rugby is really important. So if you are willing to do that um, on top of a job, on top of uh, two busy boys who probably had a your endless taxi service as well, um, and no doubt um, a very generous bank, it shows, shows that rugby is full of people who are very dedicated to the game. And... They're dedicated for what I think is a lot of the right reasons. Now, uh, I love football as well. Uh, I mean, I'm not very good at it. And I'm, I'm a Bristol Rovers supporter, so this is a version of the game. But the, the fan base and the way that it's treated there is, uh, isn't is the same in terms of dedication. I mean, they are dedicated uh, in an unbelievable way, but in a, in a way which is so focused on the team and how a team is doing, progressing, and not on the individuals within in the group. So I think that what rugby does, and it's not unique as a sport, but what it does do is allows lots of different people chances to be the best versions of themselves. I know that's a bit of a, a platitude. Uh, it's a game for, well, it's a game for all shapes and sizes, but it's also a game for um, lots of different types so you can so you can sit in a changing room and ask people's backgrounds and some of them will have gone through and they will have decided that physics was a great degree to take and uh we did our we, we did our degrees at about the same time we came out to the job market at about the same time 
And uh, yet there'll be other people who have gone through and they've come into education at a later time, or they've dropped out of education earlier, but they are doing a job in a different way. Or someone within there will say, oh, sorry, you, you, you do this? Can you come and help me do that? Uh, there's a great out, out, outfit out there called the School of Hard Knocks. And they, they've built on that, the fact that you give these players some confidence. You can see that they can work together in a group. Uh, the physicality of it is really a, a moment where you know that you're in the group and smashing into each other, smashing into the opposition. And I'm not saying that rugby is all about smashing into other people. It's an invasion and invasion game. Uh, and they'll go to a rugby club. And if the person's half decent, they're not uh, TWAT, then someone might say, I'm going to give you a bit of a, a, a lift here. You know, you know, why, why don't you come and help me out? What, what can you do? And that happens in rugby clubs all the time. And that is why I think rugby has a fantastic opportunity to offer a section, not everybody, not everyone suited to rugby, a section of society, a step up in the world. And life, life is tough. Life has got lots of things which throws at us. But it's also got opportunities uh, to connect and connect on lots of different levels. And I, I, I'd say this about uh, the women's game in particular. It's created an amazing space for a group of people who would not normally be able to play sport in the same way and access rugby and access a, a team and be with people who are like them uh, or not like them, but still not feel uncomfortable. Now, the, the thing is that we, we live in a society where uh, some people will always have an advantage. Uh, and uh, I'm not absolutely not about politics, because I know you're very clear you don't want to talk about politics. I'm not talking about politics here, but I'm talking about acceptance. Mm. You can go into a rugby club, into many rugby clubs, not all, many rugby clubs, and you'll be accepted for who you are. Now, sometimes the banter then creates barriers. And that's where rugby clubs get it wrong. There's the, there it becomes a sort of a, an underlying bullying where you you get picked up on things you've done wrong. And if the rugby club doesn't, if someone said, just, mate, just, you know, yeah, give that, give that guy a break there. But the, the guy, the best banterers will pick on the people who, who should be able to take it. And they'll leave alone the people who may be, maybe more sensitive. And, yeah, in a, in a long-winded way, I just think it 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 provides those moments where you feel you can make a mistake, be told it's a mistake, but it doesn't matter. And perhaps that, that's what it is. It's very chaotic. It was a very chaotic game. Uh, so uh, I think Lee, Lee said, um, uh, alluded to the fact that uh, that the England performance against New Zealand was was perfect. And I know exactly what you meant, is that you didn't mean that England got it right the whole time, but it was the most complete, given that the most complete can be 50% or 60% of what looks perfect. Yeah, very interesting, Dan, very interesting. Um, another question for you, which um, you, may, you may have already answered, to be absolutely honest, within that one. But uh, for you, 
Um, what have you learned from rugby that has helped you most in your life? Um, I think when, we should have written these down before. No, 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 no. I think I, 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 I've just there's a three or four answers going through my head, and of course you're always thinking about where's what's the cleverest <laughs> answer that you can give, and I think the the main thing is that um, it's it's helped me talk to lots of people on lots of different levels. And understand that you can find common ground with lots of people if you're willing to make the effort. And if you can find that common ground, suddenly a whole new life opens up to you, which you understand. And you can go through life being uh, having a very narrow group of people you speak to who you always agree with and have a laugh with. And that, that's fine. But actually... If you can pull up a conversation with anybody, then you, you you begin to learn a lot more about life, a lot more about yourself. And it just makes it a, a, rich, a richer place. So, yeah, rugby, I think I've said it, we said it, I said it before, is, is a fantastic place for different people from different backgrounds. Uh, and I think one of the challenges, uh, certainly at academy level, is to try and... And, and absolutely not anti-private schools at all, uh, but it is trying to get that balance of good rugby players who don't then go off and get the scholarships to private schools because there's still a whole group of players who are who, who don't have that access or maybe don't want it. And we, we don't want to have that divide. We want to just take the piss out of you, excuse my language, for, for the mistakes you make not for uh, not for your background. I mean, that's probably where we go wrong is when we start to pick up people. Uh, well, you're, you're that. So therefore, I, I judge you that. No, I'm going to give you a hard time because you you threw the ball in the coach's face accidentally or you <laughs> you had a pratfall here or uh, you, you kicked the ball along the ground when you meant to kick it in the air. That's the sort of mistake or error that we want to have a go at. Not the fact, not nothing to do with the you know where, where you come from, and it's it's always sad when you get judged on your accent, the way you look, uh, and, and the where you come from, from the car. You, well, you probably have a go at some people for the cars they drive. I think that's that's fair enough, um, and um, I think I've seen the car you drive, James, and uh, there there is some there is some mileage in that one, uh, but that's <laughs> uh, that's for another day. Oh yeah, that's a very comprehensive answer. Actually, I love that. Um, when I talk to uh, my son Dan, uh, Daniel, as I call him, which you won't let me call him Dan anyway. So when I say Dan, it's only for the sakes of people that know him. Uh, <laughs> Lee knows him very well. Um, he's um, he loves his rugby. Really wants to get stuck in. Um, but I I've always tried to help him, especially in the early days when he went out on the wing and ball wasn't coming he kind of wanted to chase in the ball and all of a sudden he's competing with his own centers for the ball and all the rest of it and and I think it's probably giving given him um, an understanding of the importance of being in place to look after your position and give advice where give support where supports needed but to be patient in the first place 
Um, and I think that's helped him because, you know, the last few seasons, yeah, he still might not be getting the ball all game because it's just not that game. But he's stuck out on the wing and he's been patient and he's made sure he's covered. And when there has been a need for him to be there, he's been there. But um, what would you hope young girls and, and guys that are coming into rugby, if there was one thing that they took from rugby at, at grassroots level in into their lives, what would you hope it would be? Well, it's interesting you say that uh, about your son and um, trying, to, trying to be patient. Now, inevitably in rugby, the, the ball will tend to go to players who are in positions where they want to carry. They'll make themselves more available. I think that you've got to create your own path, but you've got to make things happen for yourself. You cannot wait for the game to come to you. And uh, last night we were challenging the players to say, how many impacts have you made on a get on this this training game that we've been playing? And we're trying to make the training games more and more look like a game of rugby. We're trying to move away from forcing a game on them, which doesn't look like what they might play on Saturday. Now, if they or Sunday, Saturday or Sunday. So, what? How can you impact this game? And therefore, you've got to take responsibility for that. Now, I'm going to make some um, constraints, if you want to use that word, some rules within in the game, which will involve players. We'll move players around. That's where you can force force it. So we're going to have maybe different nine and ten. After that, it's up to you. And we'll encourage you to do it. How can we as coaches make the players more responsible for their own training and more responsible for um, their their improvements? Because if as soon as they start taking more responsibility, things things will happen for them. The fact that you were having that conversation with your son is, is fantastic and you're encouraging them. Um, and I think as a challenge for a coach is to work with the players and the parents, perhaps if you're working with the younger players, is to say, do they understand what they're supposed to be doing in the game? Not in a massive tactical or technical way. How, how can I impact on this game? Now, in in football, with with a, with a goalkeeper, the game comes to you naturally. Uh, so you can't you can't change. It. If you win the game ten nil, you may not touch the ball that many times. In a in a game of rugby. Uh, inevitably, the halfbacks will have more touches on the ball. My challenge would be to a winger, um, if they are playing winger for the whole game, for whatever reason, you can still be involved in the game. Where can you make some impacts? And what would those impacts be which work within the team? But also, you wouldn't just ask that player, you would ask the other players and say, we're not, we don't involve people just for the sake of it. You know, uh, Daniel hasn't received a pass for uh, 30 minutes. Uh, you don't just pass him the ball because he hasn't touched the ball for 30 minutes. You pass him the ball or he impacts the game because it matters to the team. So what is that? What is What difference is it going to make? So you could say, right, uh, the impacts could be chasing kicks, hitting rucks, being the support player off the uh, inside centre, being the support player off the winger, coming off their wing to support the the, the play through here, being uh, covering the backfield, being behind the uh, the kicker, being the uh, the person who calls in 
where 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 the plays are and suddenly you've got a menu of things that they could be involved in now if you put that in front of a player who's played on the wing once that's far too many things so you're going to say what what's going to be my easiest win here for this player now i played i played most of my uh, better career on on the wing and sometimes i wouldn't get the ball much at all um and i probably needed to challenge myself to to make myself have more interventions. I probably did a bit more than some wingers. But then I watched my my youngest son, who's playing for Old Reds, uh, and um, he's played his last, played last few games uh, on the wing, and he had an amazing number of touches on the ball, but I can't actually recall him receiving many passes on the wing. So the way that the team played uh, meant that the wingers had to be thoroughly involved, because if they weren't, then other players would would be shattered, and I mean it's. Um, I'm I'm thinking I'm I'm writing an article here in in my head as we're speaking. I hope this is recorded and I can take this off. Where can we help players make more impact in the game? The great. I mean the best position I always think on the pitch is the prop because they're in the game the whole time. They've got a chance to lump into players if they get angry. They've got probably chances to carry the ball. They've got a chance to make tackles. Uh, and they've got a chance to be frustrated with the backs when the backs don't do the right do the right things. Um, saying that, uh, I gave up propping when I was, I think I propped the last time I was about 14 or 15. So I'm glad I didn't, um, I grew grew up in a bit faster than they, and they realised uh, that he's, he's certainly not aggressive enough to be a prop. You mentioned um, responsibilities you touched on. Um and it's something that i'm i'm very keen to try and sort of spread the word on because um everybody's got rights at the moment and everybody falls back on their rights and it's almost um i think for especially for youngsters and and probably I'll bang on too much to my lads about this if you think about a game of rugby like we do i liken rights to the laws of the game in that it's your right to not get a particular tackle a high tackle but it doesn't mean to say it's not going to happen um it's also your right if you want to play in that game you have to follow those laws and the opposition has to follow those laws in order for the game to happen but your responsibility is to learn to train to become better at it because if you don't take on your responsibility the laws aren't going to protect you you're still going to get battered you're still going to get lose uh, you're still going to lose you're still going to be missing tackles or 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 not catching passes and the responsibility of of youngsters today i don't think is perhaps driven home enough by dare i say it parents if i really want to alienate everybody from watching this podcast <laughs> and too much attention's put on their their rights um it was interesting you saying about the responsibility of you know players and and parents and and coaches alike probably to um to help to the to develop players for for rugby but also for for life it's it's a tough gig and it's not going to get easier but you can get better at it but don't rely on the laws to protect you rely on your responsibilities yeah and i i mean uh, it's very difficult when i'm vermin agreeing with you to try and uh, put a different angle on it what one of the lessons probably that we all learn is that nothing gets done until you do it yourself 
and you 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 the more that we rely on others uh the more we probably lose out on developing ourselves uh, the uh, there's a very good book uh on my shelf uh i can't remember who it's by it's called obliquity and uh, don't ask me to spell it i know it starts with ob obliquity and it's the idea that you you your happiness comes from hard work and achieving things as opposed to seeking seeking thrills so the the thrill seekers are rarely content i mean who's i mean who's content but are rarely content you you come off a hard rugby session and that sense of well-being within you is is fantastic if you come out of a challenge i so we mentioned a bit of the coaching knife so the coaching knife is these 20 minute podcasts and uh, they're they're short but they're short because no one's allowed to ramble i mean you've let me ramble i mean i would have uh, interrupted me all the way through on the coaching knife and the coaches are coming away from it said flip that's gone in no time i really enjoyed it because it and it, it it's about it's about that putting ourselves under the right pressure uh pressure is a pressure is a privilege in sport there's if you if any for anyone who plays uh golf putt out everything i mean obviously if it's right over the hole but putt out everything because there's a great sense of achievement if you make a three-foot putt uh because it's far enough away that you can mess it up uh but close enough that you get success. I mean, one of the uh, uh, a great sport is basketball because everyone's got a chance of success of putting a ball in the net. That's why it's a it's a very good game to play. So, if we have enough, uh, I think they uh, well, it's called desirable difficulties, where it is just enough to make it feel like you want to count. This is why kids are addicted to video games because they create enough. Um, problems that it you can't walk your way through it but if you learn something and you're more successful at it you can have another go but you can still make mistakes uh going back to uh you know this the theme is what lee said about england's perfect performance the fact is they didn't have a perfect performance it was a great performance uh and they still made mistakes within it so then go away and say we can correct these mistakes uh I heard a couple of coaches in the uh, before Christmas saying we didn't put an 80 minute performance in. Well, you're never going to have that. Uh, someone said very wisely, I thought the other day to me, it's not just about applying pressure, it's about absorbing pressure. Um, some, some teams seem to absorb pressure better than others and you absorb it and then you're getting upset. Is that the best you've got? And then they say, yeah, it is. I haven't got anything, I haven't got anything left. Um, I mean, I've I've gone right off what your original question was, and I'm not sure if you even asked the question. I don't mind. I'm loving listening to you. It's, it's <laughs> great to have your ramble, anyway. Well, we can pose another one for you, Dan. How's this one? Okay. Okay. Yeah, Here we go. Worried. What advice would you give to anyone thinking of taking up rugby? To play the play the game. Um, well. Um, I think first of all, go to a place where your friends are. Uh, would would be a would be a good start. Uh, try and try and be as local as possible. Um, it's 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 interesting trying to encourage people into the game. 
part of any sport is the is the connections you make with the people that you are uh, you're with and i mean more and more uh there are people really working hard to be more effective as coaches so there's some really good there's really good coaching going on where the coaches are really caring about it um don't don't join a team because it's winning lots i think is uh I would I would probably say don't do that because they probably don't need you number one <laughs> and, uh, and and number two it, it it's 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 about being with people and developing with people um you get you get a feel for it I mean the thing is that you, you t- it, it takes a pretty big leap to join a club in the first place um and I mean, I think I'm unusual. I just would go wherever I was. I would just go straight down to the local club. And when I moved to the Mumbles, I went straight down with my boots on the training night and just said, I just want to play. And I was happy to do that. Lots of people would find that uh, find that difficult. So uh, if you're at school, who else is playing rugby? Can I, can I come along? And uh, yeah, that's uh, that's uh, there's a really good site out there. Uh, Sean Phelan runs a thing called Filial uh fill your boots fill your fyb and uh he's always trying to encourage people to come into the game so um yeah look up look up his site big shout out to you for uh sean um if you're listening and if you're not listening why <laughs> fill your boots fill your boots everybody get yeah. on that one i think i'm going to um have to call time on this game because much as i happily sit here and and talk with yourself and with lee all night i think um we've probably all got to uh wrap it up at some point um dan i'd like to say thank you for a start but i think my takeaways are from talking with you are rugby's that that all-inclusive game that gives you the ability to um to fit in no matter who you are but i i loved your comments about um the fact that the people that you are involved with in rugby you find common ground with even though you you might be completely different and and how much that teaches you about yourself and can help others at the same time um you've talked about you know friends you've talked about pressures and how much it can can help you generally um i just loved it really really loved it really really up my street thank you what about yourself well, Lee? yeah some great stuff tonight dan i mean i said i enjoyed the session when you came down to the club and uh and you know, did the live session here. That was that that was great. Um, but some really, it's always interesting talking to people and just looking at how they approach it or or what their views are on certain things. You know, um, you know. Obviously, you picked up on my word perfect, which you've exploited all through the night. Yeah, so, uh, and, and too right. Yeah, yeah. You're <laughs> not going to get away with that. I'm sure I said almost perfect, but we'll have to have a check on that. Um, but uh, yeah, I'll edit. I'll edit almost <laughs> out. Don't you worry. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, bring bringing that in. Cut out the word almost. <laughs> but no, it's it's great. Just just getting just different different ideas and different different feel for what what people people think the game you know is all about and uh, you know how it can help uh, you know. For me, particularly younger people in society. Well, I, I was going to say I in, interrupted what you were going to say there, Lee. But I, uh, well, first of all, I mean the fact you're doing the podcast is is brilliant, and um, the, the the book James is is fantastic. The fact that you wrote it in the first place and spent that time doing it, but it is also uh, is written from the heart, and um, it, it's it's really really good to read because. 
when I say you don't pull any punches, what I mean by that is that you say this is what it's like. You're not holding back on what you feel is is important, and not everyone's going to necessarily agree with everything which is in it. But we need to be in a situation where we dis- we're able to discuss stuff and walk away and say, "Great, I I don't have to agree with you, but we'll 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 we, we've enjoyed what we've talked about." So I think that's really important. But again, I'm obviously. Um, because you're you're at the other end and you're paying me lots of money for this uh, podcast, I would just say that uh, the stuff that you're doing, both of you, uh, is absolutely amazing. And, for, and the kids are really lucky. I mean, obviously, uh, uh, anyone whose parents are involved is is fine, great. But running things like academies are are will make a massive difference to lots of young people's lives, and they're very lucky that uh, you're you're doing that. And um, whether, whether you use <laughs> use my stuff or not is is actually immaterial. The fact that you're there, you're giving them an opportunity to do things um, and not be doing uh, other things. Uh, and I, I don't mean being on the corner of the streets, being naughty, just being themselves, learning about each other, creating some bonds which may last a lifetime. Uh, or may uh, may be that you bump into them in ten years' time, and you say, "Remember then the time when Elise said we had the perfect game, and we never did. We we were awful, but we thought we still won." They'll say, "Yeah, he never said that. So it was almost perfect, but not quite." <laughs> Nobody will remember almost. <laughs> Dan, thank you. Very kind words. Um, if anybody is interested, the book's proceeds are going to the Academy here. Um, it um, uh, It's on Amazon Prime. Um, rugby, be the best you you can be. Oh, Amazon, Amazon, full stop, not Amazon Prime. But um, but very kind of you to, to mention it, Dan. Um, and I urge everybody to uh, get on... Uh, rugby coach weekly it's um it's got such great advice and help on there as well and jump on dan's podcast and listen to him talking to some uh, amazing guests on there as well so i just i just add i talk a hell of a lot less i <laughs> i uh they, they they do all the talking not me i've listened it's Thankfully. very very good i i'm a big fan so um and thank you dan it's been a long time trying to get you on here i'm really really pleased we managed to um Lee, thank you so much for jumping in and um, uh, being our uh, guest co-host. Uh, You're welcome, James. I hope it you know worked seamlessly. Absolutely, almost, almost perfect, <laughs> almost. I know it was going. <laughs> but no, thank you very much. Um, thank you, Dan. To everyone that's listening, if you're enjoying it, please like and follow. It will help us um, spread the uh, the ethos a bit further and. Um, until next time be more rugby thank you lee thank you james thank you dan thank you, thank you dan hope to catch up soon when you're back down yeah definitely way. i shall be down there you've got some people who are pulling strings to yank me down there so i shall be there fantastic and thank you everybody <laughs>